And now, Dan Happel's Connecting the Dots. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Where the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. Forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. God bless the USA. Good Sunday afternoon, and welcome to Connecting the Dots with Dan Happel. I've got an interesting uh, program today. I've got uh, Michael Enright. He's a Hollywood actor. Uh, he's acted in a number of different uh, uh, films with Tom Cruise and uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, he's been in a lot of stuff over the years. And uh, he decided to volunteer to go to uh, Syria and fight ISIS, and he joined. The, now this is quite a story. Um, he is originally from the UK. Uh, he moved here and was in Hollywood for twenty some years. Um, got a, a really really interesting bio. But when he went to uh, Syria, he was fighting with the Kurdish troops over there against the, um, the ISIS people because they were killing all the Christians. And uh, he was over there for a, a long period of time. But when he came back to the United States, uh, he ran into some folks from the State Department or intelligence community who uh, refused to let him back into the country. After having spent almost 20 years here, they refused to let him back into the country unless he started uh, getting intelligence on ISIS and turned it over to the intelligence community. Well, guess what? He did. He did all the things that uh, they asked him to do, and when he came to uh, get back into the country, they refused to let him in, and the people in the intelligence community who he had been working with just disappeared. And wow. so uh, Michael is now stuck in Mexico, uh, can't get back into the country, and his story is absolutely amazing. He's done a bunch of videos on this, and his story is absolutely amazing. But uh, we're also going to have uh, Major General Paul Vallely join us at some point, as well as Mary Fanning. And we're going to be talking about some of the things that happened between Benghazi and Syria in the higher echelons of the U.S. military and government, and what a 
phony setup <laughs> we've got right now mm. running the country. So this is going to be a good program. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, Michael, we're also uh, very possibly going to be joined by uh, Major General Paul Vallely. Uh He Paul worked in uh, Syria with uh, some of the uh, military commanders trying to put together the group that you worked with, as a matter right. of fact. And so Paul's going to be talking about that. They're going to be talking about Benghazi. Uh, also, uh, Mary Fanning is going to be joining us. And uh, uh, Mary is uh, absolutely brilliant uh, reporter on international issues. She's the lady who disclosed the Club K, uh, Port Canaveral, all kinds of things that have been going on in our government. And today our program is going to be called Ignoring Our Friends and Helping Our Enemies. And that's what we've got going now in this country. It's absolutely amazing what we've allowed to happen in the last 40 years. Our country is not the same as it used to be. And the reason it's not the same is because we have allowed the political class and the bureaucratic class who are potentially, uh, I would say, almost entirely Marxist uh, to take over this country. And now what we have is totally unrepresentative of the American republic that we grew up and knew. So, Michael, welcome to the program. I'd, I'd love Thank to Thank you very you. much indeed, Dan, and appreciate you having well, you're, you're quite welcome. Please tell our listeners a little bit about your career and your background, because you've got quite a quite an interesting history. Um, well, my name is Michael Enright. I was born um, in Manchester, in the city of uh, Manchester, England. <clears throat> and um, I lived there in a tough, uh, a, a tough, part of that, of that town. It's kind of like the project of, of that town. And um, I was, you know, sort of beaten up by my parents, um, sometimes put in hospital. And so as soon as I could, as a teenager, I'd, I I remember watching American television and just, it, I loved, that's one of the reasons why I love television and movies and because I could just escape into a different world and, uh, and I loved everything about America before I even arrived. You know, I used to, just like when I got to America, I found out a whole bunch of Americans do phony British accents, like to amuse each other. I, not in England, they don't do American accents, but I did because I was so crazy about America. And I was so, and so I was already in love with her before I arrived. And um, I remember when I got the visa, uh, I was 19. And I was so excited the day, the day before I got on that plane. I'm like, the whole, I couldn't even sleep. It was like Christmas Eve, you know, and um, I arrived and it never, it, it, it never let me down. You know, it just was like one thing after another was just so amazing about America uh, that had not been about England. I mean, in England, uh, you know, has some uh, amazing things too. But uh, in the things that I liked, uh, and certainly with the people, because I was a very, I am a very 
positive, optimistic person. Um, <clears throat> and I got here and uh, I started working, um, or uh, I, I started seeing, first of all, just Americans in general, and they were just so more friendly and more optimistic and more just like I, I expected them to be because that's what I'd seen on the movies and the television. Um, and so I just, I fell in love with it and uh, I didn't want to go home. And uh, so over the next um, 30 years, um, you know, I spent thousands and thousands of dollars to try and get legal, um, but I was never able to do it. I was never able to get out of this visa, uh, tourist visa situation. Um, I just, there was no path. Uh, I, I paid attorneys and they just, you know, you, a lot of, and then I, when I moved into a, a poor neighborhood in LA in Los Angeles, when I was living there, um, a lot of the Latinos, I said, how are you doing it? And they were doing it through family because they had somebody connected. You know, once one of them comes, from a third world, it doesn't matter where, which third world country, then they bring a lot of, usually they bring a lot of the other family members with them. Whereas, mm. you know, if an Englishman or comes or a Frenchman or Swedish person comes to America, they come on their own usually. They don't bring the mom, the dad, the, you know, the girl, their uh, sisters and stuff. And I, I didn't have any family connection, even though I couldn't prove I did. I actually do have a family connection. My grandfather was actually an American GI in the Second World War. And we say about the Americans, we used to say about the Americans in the Second World War that the Americans are oversexed, overpaid, and over here because they were all in England. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I guess one of them said hello to an English girl, and uh, nine months later, uh, up popped my mother. And, um, you know, so uh, he's, <laughs> God bless him, you know, wherever he is, I hope he made it. But uh, he probably fought really hard, I hope. Uh, anyway, so, uh, yeah, so, uh, and I've been an actor in England as a teenager. And so then I, I started working um, in television. Um, and I did some movies, I did smaller roles on uh, Pirates of the Caribbean or Night and Day with Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz. Uh, on uh, with old dogs with John Travolta and Robin Williams, and then I did big roles as a what they call a major guest star on big on big television shows, CSI, Cold Case, uh, a, a whole bunch of them, The Agency, uh, yeah. Alias, you know, uh, th over thirty shows, um, and then nine eleven happened, and that just completely devastated me that just completely devastated me i remember when that happened that I, that was what remains trauma wise one of the worst traumas that i, I personally ever felt mm -hmm. um because it was like they were what i am they were foreigners here and they've been allowed into america because of the good grace of the american people this is how you return that favor by killing 3,000 of them. It just, and then you know, I would watch all these things. And then the first guy, the, first, the priest came out, he was dead. And the, little, the, the mom happened to tell a little five year old and three year old that, yeah, daddy's gone to heaven. Can the little girl saying, Can we write, can we write a letter to him? 
And uh, she said, no, we can't. And the little boy said, can you call him on his cell phone? And, uh, you know, mom having to explain that to little baby, it just broke me in two. So I called the uh, American um, recruitment office and they went to a machine. And so I left a message and uh, I waited a couple of days and they never got back. And I thought maybe it's because of my accent. You know, uh, you know. Uh, so I called again, but I was a professional actor, so I can do an American accent. Even as a kid, I could do it. I could definitely do it now as a trained actor. And so I, uh, I, I left another message, only this time with an Ameri- uh, as an American, and uh, they still didn't call back. And I was going to go down, um, and there was a, uh, uh, and there was actually quite a. a, a, a well-known actor who uh, was staying with me at the time. Um, he'd been kicked out of his uh, mansion by his wife because uh, it, she'd caught him cheating on her. And so he came to stay in my one-bedroom apartment with me, uh, and he was kicking on the couch. And I think he chose me because his wife knew I went to church. Mm-hmm. And I think his wife would have thought, well, you know, it's not going to be painting the town red with Michael because, you know, I was, I don't drink, I don't do drugs. I don't, you know, I'm not going to go out to clubbing and all that. And, uh, so I, I told him, I think the only person I told us I'm going to Afghanistan, I want to fight Al Qaeda. And he said, you know what? He said, I would do some, I would make a different choice. Mike, he said, I would make a different choice. He said, you know, you can, uh, you can, you're an actor, you can have an effect in a different way. And I allowed myself to be talked out of it. And it was the biggest regret of my life, Dan. So that's a lot. That's a piece of the story anyway. Well, you, you had uh, um, a good chance to make a career in Hollywood. And I know you were successful. In fact, uh, you ended up selling your Porsche uh, to fund your trip to Syria so that you could uh, uh, fight uh, ISIS over there. There's a lot of uh, a lot of things that are going on in your life while all this is happening. <clears throat> I found really fascinating you uh, did some club boxing too. Uh, I was a boxer, yeah. In, yeah, in watch. yeah, that, uh, well, and uh, you trained with uh, uh, pretty famous yeah. trainers. The- yeah, uh, Bill, it was Ken Norton's trainer. Uh, Bill was my, it was also Mickey Rock's trainer, actually. In fact, the only two white guys in the gym was me and Mickey Rock, the actor. Mm-hmm. And because uh, he, he'd, he'd taken up boxing at the time, he was just learning. Uh, and then Bill, he took my trainer off because they made a movie together, Homeboy. And um, so, yeah, I, I did that for three years, actually. I boxed out of that gym. I learned a lot about the uh, the black community. Mm-hmm. Well, um, there were, that was a an area that uh, you definitely got some experience. That's for sure. Yeah, um, learned how to fight for sure. Um, oh yeah, I already knew how to do that, but I definitely honed it there for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's a, a great prelude. So anyway, when did you go to? Uh, Syria, and explain how you decided to go over there. I know you saw some of the uh, footage of some of the things that were going on in Syria with ISIS, some of the raping and the 
you know, the murders and uh, cutting people's throats and all that. Talk a little bit about how you got interested in uh, going over there and joining as a volunteer in uh, the, the Kurdish militia. Yeah, um, it's quite a, quite a story getting there, actually. Uh, so I had uh, a friend of mine who was British Special Forces um, who was now working as a uh, contractor in Iraq. And he was working in the Kurdish region of Iraq. And I watched these videos. And it was, <clears throat> I mean, it 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 brought back, first of all, it brought back all the 9-11 stuff for me. Because it's the same people. It doesn't matter if, if they call themselves Al-Qaeda, Boko Haram, Al-Nusra, uh, ISIS, Daesh. It doesn't matter. It's all the same. Islamic extremist jihadi cancer it's just a cancer to humanity it really is and um when i saw what they were doing and i and they were they went in there into the yazidi region and they killed not just the men they killed every male over 12 years old mm -hmm. i mean and then they took the the freshly made widows and the little now fatherless and brotherless girls and turned them into sex slaves, chained them up and took them in bands and turned And I mean, it was, it was straight from the Bible. No, I remember reading the Bible when I was a little boy. And I don't know if you had that experience, a big good question actually, Dan. When I first got introduced to some of the stories in the Bible, they were very shocking to me. You know, it was like, as a little boy, it's like, what? You know, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I remember, uh, we, you know, we went to uh, in, an, in in Manchester. We have these things called whip walks, and everybody walk, walks with a big big banner, and all the men watch, uh, and the band plays, uh, and the banner is of the church, and they have one week that the uh, one weekend, one day of the week, uh, one Saturday that the Protestants do it, and one Saturday that the Catholics do it. And uh, and we did it, and 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 when we did, when we got, when it was the Protestants' turn, uh, we would do it, and all the Catholics would come out and clap, and then the next the, the next week it was their turn, and then and we would all come out and clap. Then there was no animosity whatsoever in my hometown. Certain cities like Glasgow and Belfast, there obviously is, but there's not in my hometown, uh, <clears throat> and. Um, I remember seeing this picture, and it was obviously a, the Catholic picture of somebody who was handing out tracts, and it had Jesus with the thorns on his head and blood coming down. And I'd never seen that. You know, they'd never shown me anything like that in Sunday school. I was like six. I'm like, Mommy, why is this? And she said, and then she had to, <laughs> and she had to tell me, you know, and I was like, I remember being traumatized by it. And that's how it felt when I heard about, uh, you know, what ISIS were doing. ISIS over there are called Daesh, uh, the local, which they don't like that name. Uh, so we call them even more. Um, and <laughs> what, they, what, what they were doing is um, it was like that. It was just biblical. It took me back to when Herod, you know, came and was looking and they, they said, oh, the Savior will be born. And so he had, a, the, you know, all the kids all the baby boys slaughtered. It was, 
I remember, re- you know, even as a person, we read that, and I, and I, I was shocked at that one. It was like, because I was, you know, a young baby, you know, a little kid, and uh, it made me, it made me feel about that. I, I, I mean, it was, it was something that I hadn't even thought about. You know, that that anybody would even think about doing something like that. Um, and it, and it was, of course, because of who it was. It was the Islamic extremists, the same people who had attacked America at 9-11. And so this time, I thought, no, no. This time, I'm going. And I watched. And then I started, I became like a news junkie. I would watch all the news, you know, and uh, switch cable shows. If it went off ISIS, mm-hmm. you know, I would go back. You know, I wanted to get everything. And um, basically, at that time, um, when it started in the summer of 2014, there was three uh, three armies fighting. There was uh, the Iraqi regime uh, that the, the British and the Americans had put in. There was uh, Saddam Hussein, who's a butcherer and a mass murderer himself. <clears throat> and uh, then there was um, Daesh. And... And then there was this fourth one I heard about, these people called Kurds. And I'd met a Kurd just one time, but I didn't know much about them. And I certainly didn't know they were in Syria. I thought they were in Turkey, Iraq, and Iran, which they are in those three countries, but they actually also are in Syria. They're in the region that's right in that ball. And uh, I didn't know that. Um, and then, and I, I, first of all, I, I found out where ISIS, you know, where's the main fight? Is it in Iraq or in Syria? Well, it was definitely in Syria. There was a fight in Mosul, but the big, their capital was, uh, was Raqqa, uh, which was uh, in Syria, and most of their land was in Syria, uh, and most of their troops were in Syria. And so I looked at the, uh, the Iraqi army, and they were just obviously giving up. Because, and then I find out when you ask the general, uh, when it, if he does join us later on, I'm sure he'll tell you, you know, a volunteer army, which is what America has, is a much stronger army than a, a compulsory one. Because mm-hmm. if you have a compulsory one, you have a lot of people who don't want to be there. Right. And if they don't want to be there, then they're not going to be really good fighters. You know, uh, I saw that in Syria myself, mm-hmm. um, you know, and um, anyway, so I, I, I just thought, yeah, and, the, uh, they, so, and Saddam Hussein's force, they were getting butchered. Now, now you're, you mean uh, Bashar Assad, right? Bashar Assad, they were getting yeah. butchered. Yeah. The Iraqi yeah. army were getting butchered. They were all running and surrendering and leaving, uh, you know, with, with all the American taxpayer, uh, American tanks that were put in, uh, you know, uh, they just went, there was 15,000 of them, uh, you know, uh, and they just went, woo, and left. They left the tanks to ISIS, they, and there was only uh, 1,500 ISIS, but they were already, they'd already beat them in the mines because they knew ISIS were prepared to die, and they were not prepared to die. Hmm. They were Shia soldiering a, uh, a sunny Muslim area, and the Sunni Muslims, uh, also, Daesh, uh, Daesh are also 
Sunni Muslims. Um, and so, I'm sorry, uh, just let me take care of this. I'm sorry. I'll call you back, buddy. I'm on the, I, I've got to take care of this. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Sorry about that. No. And, um, oh, God. We, I open the door and a cat runs in. Come on, out you go. <laughs> <laughs> Live radio. Anyway, um, so, you know, I, and then I saw the Kurds. And the Kurds had fought back. With the American help, American air support, they fought back in a town called Kobani. And I thought, I want to fight with them. And so I called my special forces friend and I said, hey, I want to go. Can I take you for a drink? And he said, yeah. So we went for a drink and I said, I want to go and fight with the Kurds. And he said, well, the Kurds are mostly Christian, correct? No, uh, actually, the, a lot of, most of them are atheists. Um, but that we all in, in the coalition with, um, with the Kurds is the Christian, are all the Christians. There is a, a Christian militia and that's, that's part of the same, you know, the, uh, they all, they're all together. Um, and, uh, but no, in that whole area, uh, it's predominantly Muslim actually. Um, except, uh, the, the, the Kurds, uh, were not. Uh, or most, some of them were, but very few. Uh, I didn't meet many. Um, the Arabs were. The Arabs were all Muslim, uh, and uh, a lot. Of, uh, the Christians there are mainly Assyrian, and they, you know, they speak the uh, the same language as the uh, as Jesus spoke Aramaic, which is really interesting to hear them talk. And um, anyway, um, so I, he gave me a contact. Uh, so it was an internet thing. So I contacted them over the internet and I said, hi, you know, I'd like to volunteer. And she said, um, okay, well, you know, we had a couple of chats back and forth with this person and they said, okay, this is what you should do. Don't fly from America, fly from Europe or the Middle East and buy a one-way ticket to Sulaymaniyah in Iraq. And once you have your ticket, contact us with the confirmation number and we will give you a contact number, a local contact number. And I was a little miffed at that because I had more questions because I'd, I'd never been in an army before. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of apprehension and I didn't know what to expect. And it was like, I'd like to ask some more questions. I mean, but <clears throat> I don't, I thought just take orders, you know? Mm -hmm. So I flew to home, I sold everything in, in America. And I knew when I left, to be honest with you, um, I thought, I'm in my 50s. I was 51 at the time, 50 at the time, 51. And um, I thought, I have no military training. The Kurds have less weapons than, uh, than ISIS do. I knew that. And I, I believed that there was, uh, most probably I was going to suffer and then I was going to die in Syria. So even though I had this huge overextension of my stay in America, I never thought I'd be coming, trying to come back. I, I, I didn't want to die, but I honestly didn't think I would make it out. I went there with the mentality of, well, if you're going to go, because I said to myself, well, if you go 
as somebody who's in your 50s, uh, you know, uh, with no military experience, you'll be a hindrance to them. And then I thought, and as I watched the ISIS videos, I started seeing the mentality of why they were winning. And they were winning because the ISIS fighters were, even though it's the devil, you and I know that, that you know, that, that what they say is God is absolutely Satan himself. You know, gang raping little girls is, is straight from the bowels of hell. Um, they believe it. They 100% believe it. And, and if you've got a man who's ready to die for what he believes, that's a powerful thing against somebody who's not prepared to die for what he believes. And I thought, are you prepared to die? Because if you're not prepared to die, don't go. And um, I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm prepared to die. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought, I, you know, I'm prepared. I, I, I owe America. I should have paid her back. I, you know, I've tried... I love this country and what 9-11, this is, this is my, because I always regretted not going to serve in Afghanistan. And, uh, and so I, I went to England, stayed with a friend. It was the only one I told about going. And I said, um, uh, I contacted the person, bought the ticket. I was leaving on a Sunday morning. And uh, I, I contacted them on the Monday said, hi, this is Michael Enright. You told me to buy a ticket. Here's my confirmation. Never call me back. Tuesday, same thing. Never call me back. Wednesday, I'm starting to get worried because I'm leaving on Sunday night, Monday morning, arriving at 3 o'clock in the morning, Iraq time. And uh, on Wednesday, I said, hi, this is Michael Enright. You told me to buy the book. I'm sort of panicking a little bit. Doesn't come, you know, nothing. I called my friend, uh, the SAS guy, and I said, I don't know what to do. And he went, I wouldn't chance it, Mike. I wouldn't chance it. I said, I don't know. And I tried one more on the, on the Thursday, and on the last time on the Friday, I put in bold caps, contact person, contact person, contact person. I am ready to die for you. And you, but you, and you told me to buy a ticket. I bought the ticket. Why are you not responding? I said, I'm asking you man to man. And I got, I get a letter back. And he says, first of all, we are not men. We are women. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, she says, uh, okay, this is your contact person. And she gave me a private Facebook uh, page, and I thought, oh, okay, great. So I contacted contacted that person. They never contacted me, and I and Sunday came, and I thought maybe they're going to be there at the other end. You know, what do you want to do? And I didn't know, and 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 I'm I'm going on this internet thing. And I'm thinking this all this could be a ruse. This mm-hmm. could be ISIS setting me up here, you know, to get exactly. Western, Western volunteers. And like, I can be the next guy on the. I'll be very famous for my his last work. Did you see that Michael Enright, <laughs> much underestimated actor? Did you see him in his last performance when he died in the orange suit? Oh, it was so realistic. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, gallows humor, gallows humor. And uh, mm. anyway, so I. I but I decided to do it. I decided to roll the dice and I arrived at, uh, scared 
and I didn't know anything about the politics between Turkey and Kurds and Iran and Iraq. I didn't know any of that. And I go through Turkey. I'd never been to Turkey before. And uh, only an, uh, an hour state layover. And then I fly to Iraq. And when I arrive in Iraq at three in the morning, I'm worried that, you know, I'm going to be, you know, find someone and I don't know it's going to be ISIS. And part of me wanted to meet them, part of me didn't, you know, and I didn't have to worry in a way because there was no one there. Nobody mm -hmm. showed up. <laughs> uh, so I'm now at uh, 3.30 a.m. in Iraqi time in Iraq, don't know anyone, don't know where to go, don't know what to do. So, uh, you know, but I've been around the world, so I just sort of, you know, worked it out, got to a hotel, and uh, and then I, you know, went down, and I'm not a very technical person. Um, I'm better now. I've learned now, but, you know, at the time I was really bad. And uh, I said, uh, where is the, uh, an internet cafe? They said, well, we have Wi-Fi. I said, yeah, but it won't work for my phone. It's an American phone, <laughs> which of course it would have worked, but I didn't mm. know that. Yeah. And uh, now I know, of course. And uh, anyway, so I go to the internet cafe and uh, I leave a message uh, for them. And, um, and I'm angry because I'm here. And then, you know, it's like, I'm, and I said, why did you do this to me? I said, I'm here. I said, why? I said, you're supposed to get back to me. And I thought, don't wait around because I was so livid. I was so angry at this person. <laughs> and uh, I thought, go for a bite to eat because you don't want to get too upset. But calm down. So I went for a bite to eat. I calmed down. I came back and they wrote, okay, uh, Please give me your flight details. I'm like, I'm already here. I'm at <laughs> this hotel and this is my telephone number. And I thought, just go to the hotel and chill because I can't have a conversation with this moron, whoever it is right now. And so I, <clears throat> I just got on the, uh, got in a taxi and I, and I got back to the hotel, which was literally five minutes away. And uh, he said to me, Oh, Michael, Mr. Michael, he called me. He, uh, he said, oh, Mr. Michael, um, your friend called. Well, I don't have any friends in Iraq. So I, know, <laughs> I, 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 know, I know who that is. I said, oh, great. Can I have the number? He said, yeah. I said, can I make a phone call? He said, yeah. So I called. He said, hello. Very serious. I said, hello. I said, is this Hosan? And I, he said, Yes. He said, who is this? I said, this is Michael, uh, Michael Enright. <clears throat> I'm at the Woodward uh, Hotel. He said, uh, yes. He said, you want to join the YPG? I said, yes. He said, are you willing to fight? I said, yes. He said, are you willing to die? I said, yes. He said, we'll pick you up tomorrow, noon. Be ready. Click. I said, oh, I thought, okay. Hey, is, is this the general? <laughs> it is. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to inter, intercede here. Um, this is uh, Major General Paul Vallely, and Paul worked with the uh, Syrian government. He's been involved in a lot of the uh, oh, negotiations amazing. that went on in the Middle East, but he did it as a retired general. And oh, wow. uh, 
because you know, a lot of this stuff happened during the Obama administration. Uh, Paul, welcome to the program. Please introduce yourself to Michael. This is a fun story. I'm getting a huge kick out of this. I'm sure you are too. But uh, you went into Syria in a little bit different uh, manner than Michael did. Nice to meet you, General. Nice to meet you, Michael, and uh, glad you could join with my good friend, uh, Dan. Yeah, yeah, thank you for your service as well. It was amazing. Well, it's, uh, it was very interesting. I can relate uh, to exactly what you're saying. Uh, uh, I'll go back uh, a little bit here uh, to 2012. Uh, <clears throat> the head of my Middle East team was uh, Colonel Najee Najjar, uh, a Lebanese. And uh, Najee and I worked very closely for years regarding the Middle East. Anyhow, uh, Colonel Najjar got an inquiry from uh, uh, 12, a group of 12 uh, general officers and senior officers who had defected from Assad in Damascus. Right. Uh, and they, they formed the Free Syrian Army, and they put uh, a colonel... Uh, they put a Colonel Riyadh in charge uh, of the Free Syrian Army. And that grew to almost 50,000. Uh, and they got all their arms uh, and equipment they stole from the depots from the Syrian Army. Because basically, once uh, um, the uh, Free Syrian Army took control of a lot of the eastern part of Syria, all the uh, Syrian army forces withdrew. And so the Turks ran that very long, I don't know, it's 800, 900 mile border between uh, the Mediterranean and uh, all the way over to uh, Iran. Mm. And so uh, Colonel Najjar called me, said, can you go into the Middle East? Uh, uh, the Free Syrian Army leadership wants to meet you. I didn't know any of these guys. <laughs> so uh, we flew into Istanbul and then flew down to Hate, Hate province, Natakia, which is yep. in the southern part, right on the Syrian border there. Right. Uh, uh, and so uh, the generals came across the, the border to meet me in a, in a, in a resort hotel there in uh, Natakia. And so uh, 40 of us uh, then met and did the planning uh, basically to uh, get air support for the Free Syrian Army. And at that time, uh, and they're all Muslims. Uh, here's this good Catholic boy, you know, and yeah. Earl Najjar is a good uh, Catholic guy from, from Lebanon. Right. But uh, these generals were just terrific, and they were really taking a chance because they were serious. They wanted to overturn Assad at that time. Oh, yeah. Put in a free republic uh, uh, and so on. But uh, that was, uh, as Dan said, Obama time. So anyhow, uh, one of the two stars and I put together a team, and I went, I was 72 years old then, Michael. Yeah. Wow. You're looking <laughs> good, man. You're looking so, good, Dan, uh, Paul. So with 400 men, we went 80 kilometers from Hate into Aleppo, the most dangerous city in the world at that time. That's right. Aleppo, yeah, that was a hotbed. Uh, now, the first time we tried to go across land and a Turkish... What, what year was this? What year was this? 2012. Okay, yeah. 
Yeah. Right at, the begin, right at the beginning of the revolution of the, of the uh, spring. The revolution started yeah. early 2012. That's right. Right, right. Uh, ISIS didn't even exist then. That's uh, right. They didn't come around until the summer of 2014. Yeah, somewhere yeah. there. Um, so anyhow, uh, this Turkish patrol, we were going over by foot. So here I am. Wow. Wow. These guys. This Turkish patrol picks us up. The only thing I had, I spurred, I only carried a passport. And this guy puts a rifle on my neck. Oh, no. Puts a rifle on my neck. I'm, and so they passed me off as a uh, Turkish farmer, uh, potato farmer. <laughs> That's great. I love That's it. That's hysterical. So if they ask you any questions, you're a potato farmer. Well, hell, I don't look like any damn potato farmer. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. So anyhow, we went into Aleppo and I met with the uh, French Syrian Army Brigade there. And uh, uh, at that time, uh, Assad was using his air force and they, he was bombing everywhere. And he ordered the, the Syrian army to shoot the young uh, Syrian males in the hip so that they couldn't function. Uh, he ordered them to. He ordered them to shoot who in the hip? The young teenage boys they found. Oh. So that they couldn't walk and they couldn't yeah. fight. Oh, it was yeah. horrible. Uh, and we went in, we had a Canadian medical team. They had done the month before 70 amputations without uh, without anesthesia. Oh, wow. God. And yeah. so yeah. this Canadian team was part yeah. of our team going in. But anyhow. A lot, uh, a lot of life is like that there. It's, it's barbaric. I mean, even, even the war, you know, it's like I came across American Special Forces. Uh, when I was there in 2015, 16, 17, all the, they were there uh, all the time. Um, well, not all the time, actually. They, they would stay on their own base most of the time. But, you know, uh, sometimes they would come on operations so far in. They weren't allowed. To, they didn't have a mandate to come in all the way with us. But the equipment that they had compared to us was staggering. I mean, we didn't have helmets. We had no body armor. I didn't have, for five months, I had no grenade. And, yeah. uh, you know, I just had a Kalishnikov on bullets, uh, you know, and we would go in a, and we would do night operations with no night vision, you know, and we knew sometimes that they had night vision and we didn't. So it was, it really, you know, you was really taking incredible chances that a, a, a professional army like Britain, America, France wouldn't take with their troops. You know, some very, very, you know, I mean, I ended up one time general um, and uh, the Arabs, I, I was with an Arab unit as well, because sometimes I fight with the Kurds, but I would change units. I had a special note by the commander because he wanted me to do this film. Um, which I'll send you if you have any interest in seeing it. It's about Havali. They made it. For, they made a documentary. They spent half a million dollars making it from my head camera footage, and um, because of that, they allowed me to change units, which meant I could get to fight a lot. You know, and that's what I wanted to do. That's what I think most soldiers in a volunteer army want to do. They would. They want to be part of the action. You know, yeah. and um, and so. I was able to do that. But one time I was with an all Arab unit and the Arabs are not as good a fighters as the Kurds. The Kurds were more determined. The Arabs would have a tendency to run quicker. Not all of them, but a lot of them would run quicker. And this one time we went in to this uh, village 
<clears throat> and I always perceived myself as not really being a soldier. Well, I'm just learning. I was always in that mode of I'm just learning, and sure. uh, which in one sense you always are. You're always learning. But in, what, I, what I realized from this experience was that this changed my, my time for the rest of that war is I have to start believing in my own intuition because uh, we went into, and by then I'd been there for three years. I'd been there for, uh, and I'd been on a lot of operations. We'd done a lot of missions, you know, we'd arrested a lot of ISIS people, a lot of ISIS terrorists by then. And there was something about this village that just felt wrong. And these people were incredibly scared. I mean, and it is scary when men run into your village with big machine guns and big Kalishnikovs. That is a scary prospect to anybody. But they were much more scared than normal. And I, we didn't, I didn't know, and nobody knew, but it was an ambush. ISIS were waiting for us. And uh, we didn't know that. But my intuition was telling me that, and I, you know, and my mind, you know, there's my my intuition is saying there's a problem here, and my mind is saying, look, these are Arabs. You're with an all Arab unit. These are their people. They're Syrian Arabs. They're Syrian Arabs. They they would know. They can talk the language. You can't. They would pick up on it. You know, and was like, there's a problem here. But I didn't listen. I I stopped it, and a little boy was crying. Um, and so I started doing a magic trick for him. I know magic. I was a magician's assistant. So I, I used to do that for the kids after we'd cleared an operation. And be, one of my soldiers put his gun down. Well, if a soldier puts his gun down, then you, if you're in a safe area. Otherwise, you wouldn't put your gun down. And, they, uh, and the women were bringing out water, uh, and they were asking for tea, and they were bringing tea. And so I... I thought, oh, you know, I went with my mind and the little boy w was still crying and I was trying to appease him, you know, so he wouldn't cry. And um, he kept on looking at my gun. When ISIS go into a village, one of the first things they do is they'll grab a man or a woman, they don't care, pull them over in front of the entire village and shoot them in the head or they'll cut the head off, one or the other. And yeah. the kids I, I spoke to, I interviewed one of the uh, Arab women, she said, uh, I put my hands in front of, because she had a little five-year-old. And I, I said, how long ago did this happen? She said, four months ago. And I said, what was that like? She said, uh, when they started cutting his head off, I put my hands in front of her eyes so she wouldn't see it. And Isis said, no, take your hand away. And they made the woman take the hand away so the little girl watched Oh. that horror oh, and uh, so they have uh, bad dreams and nightmares and wake up yeah. screaming and yeah. crying and so i do this magic trick and he's crying and i moved and i see he's scared of my gun well my other soldier put his gun down so i thought oh, we're okay now because everyone's you know and i put my gun down and i walked over to him biggest mistake of my life or one of the biggest mistakes of my life because as soon as i got over to him machine gun fire and they came screaming in and all of the uh, civilians ran into the houses and the entire unit ran 
and I couldn't get to my I couldn't get to my gun because my gun was uh, right where all the shooting was because I'd sort of stepped uh, sort of out of that firing line, and uh, and so now I'm on my own and I I see this little guy going in his house so I just follow him in his house and uh, I look around and I have no weapon. And I see two ISIS dash two uh, terrorists right outside his window. But there's a like a mosquito net up in his window, and it's a, uh, we were elevated slightly, and so we was looking down on them slightly. And so they didn't see us, I guess, cause, just because of the reflection or whatever. But we saw them, and I saw him go, kafir, kafir, which just means atheist just means non-believer. Now, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I have compassion and I feel sort of sorry for non-believers because it's, that's a hard thing, especially at the end of your life. If you don't have, if you don't know where you're going, you know, to be facing that, it, that's a difficult thing, but I don't hate them. You know, I'd never seen somebody with so much hate uh, that, than this guy over somebody who just didn't believe in what he believed in. Uh, and and they actually were Sunni. My, my I was with an all Sunni Muslim Arab unit. Um, anyway, so uh, as soon as I saw, I just heard cafe cafe. I automatically just pulled my shoulder back to shoot him. You know, just to lift the gun to shoot him. Well, of course, I've not got the gun. The gun's outside. <laughs> you know, it's just, it was just a not, like a reaction. As soon as I saw that, I just went like that to shoot him. Realized I don't have anything. I know, and now I know they're gonna come in the house, they're going to come in that room. And uh, I'm looking around the room, and I just as that happens, two run onto the roof. And two, so I've got now two outside the window and two outside, uh, two on the roof and one outside the uh, door. And I, and I see, I'm Okay, and we got on like a house on fire, me and this guy. You know, the, uh, you're only supposed to be seven minutes. By the time we finished, we were there half an hour. We closed it down. There was nobody else there. It was just me and him still talking. And because uh, he was sort of fascinated by it. Um, and, he, and I said, he said, what letters have you got? I said, uh, I've got uh, two congressmen. Uh, I said, I've got, you know, a letter from uh, my uh, my pastor, a deputy district attorney. I said, um a man who had a health problem. He said, a man who had a health problem. I said, yeah. I said, I saved three American citizens' lives. And he said, while you was in Syria? I said, no, while I was in America. He went, well, how, how did you do that? And I said, well, I know CPR. I said, and one time a man was choking to death in a restaurant. I gave him the Heimlich. Another time I, I lived in a black area and the black gang member had been shot. And everybody, as soon as the shots come out, everybody ran. I was the only one who ran to him and uh, put pressure on his wounds until the paramedics got there. And another one was a Jewish chap at a uh, very spanky uh, Academy Award ceremony. He had a heart attack. I pulled him to the floor, ripped his uh, you know, shirt open and started giving him CPR. But even if you give somebody CPR, only one out of eight survived. But he was lucky. He was one of the eight. And he wrote a letter to say how you know, I saved his life. And he just sort of looked at me. And the look was as if to say, <laughs> let's just give you a passport. Never mind a freaking visa. You know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, anyway, I left. And then we get a letter back. 
and the letter back said, uh, you know, you've been declined or you're inadmissible into America because of um, the uh, overstay of the visa. And then they added this charge, which had never been on there, about the California driving license. And they said, which was weird because that wasn't on there. My attorney said they shouldn't have done that because that wasn't a charge on there. Anyway, uh, and they said both of the, the embassy letters said, both of these uh, violations are waiverable. However, the only person who can recommend a waiver is the officer you had the uh, interview with. In this case, he has recommended both waivers be given and you'd be allowed into the States to make this movie. And then we get a, a letter back uh, three days later from Homeland Security, denied. And so, uh, you know, my attorney said, okay, he said, this is, he said, this sounds like it's a political thing. He said, I can try again for you. He said, but that's, that's something that the State Department somewhere is, is blocking this, he said, because if a consular officer recommends you get a waiver, he said, they don't, they very, very rarely would they turn that down. He said, so uh, it sounds like uh, this is because, you know, maybe of the pressure of Turkey. Um, I don't know, you know. Uh, what year was that, Michael? That was uh, January of uh, of this year. Mm. And so uh, we've just Where are applied. You now, Mike? Where are you now? I'm in Cancun, Mexico. And mm. so we just, uh, we just, apply well i'm trying to apply i'm trying to get the legal funds uh, to pay for the attorney one more time it's not a lot at this time it's only two thousand dollars because he's already done most of the work but still you know for me <laughs> that's a lot um and uh once i get that then we're gonna he said i can apply for you and we, you can take another uh, consular uh visa uh rec he said at this time go in with with this so that at least that California driving license will not be on your record because that shouldn't be on there. They made a mistake with that. Um, he said, and uh, and then he said, and I would just get as much PR as you can. And I told a good friend of mine who's a Christian man, George Kaler, about my situation. He's been helping me and, uh, you know, he knew Dan and uh, here we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fascinating story. Now, um, <clears throat> Michael, what exactly can we do to help with this situation? Because um, obviously, you really stuck your neck out to try to uh, help the so-called intelligence agencies with this information on ISIS. Oh, and, yeah. um, you know, it's kind of like, kind of like me. I, uh, it, <laughs> spend all this money doing something uh, to try to help the situation and uh, they end up not only not doing anything about it, but they destroy the work you've already done. What can we do to try to help this situation? And I know there are others that want to do this. Uh, uh, General, you had mentioned that you want to be um, part of doing some interviews with Michael as well. 
I know that uh, General McInerney and you both have expressed an interest in this. Uh, we also have Mary Fanning. I know she's going to probably be working with uh, John B. Wells. Maybe uh, we can get uh, Mike Lindell to uh, pick up with this on uh, his network as well. Right. What what can we do uh, to help you, Michael? Because honestly, we want to uh, try to get you back in in to the United States, and Thanks, you know Scott. now you're going to be an old actor, but maybe yeah. get your career back too. Because yeah, that's right. You oh, did I, a lot of stuff. I well, I, not only that, but in in my town, uh, you know, in the Hollywood business, uh, the agent that represents you matters a huge amount. They, they open the doors or, you know, so, uh, and now because <clears throat> I fought with the Kurds who are completely surrounded by enemies, well, are there any other people in the Middle East who are completely surrounded by enemies? The Jews, Israel. And, uh, you know, in the Jewish community, in, a, uh, in, my, in the agent business, it's huge. There's a lot of, you know, uh, oh, I don't yeah. know. Uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of Jewish uh, agents, and so one of them, a huge agent now, has taken me on, uh, and he has a lot of big stars that he represents, and so you know, uh, and and to, we're going to make this movie, and so yeah, if I get back, it's like I can go back to a life, you know, really get a chance to swing at the swing at the bases, you know. Uh, Whereas right now, I, I, I've got to tell you, I've been very sort of lonely and, if it, you know, like just saying, Lord, I don't know, you know, if you you want to take me home, I'm ready, you know, because I, I don't know what else to do here, you know. Um, I, friends of mine have uh, started a, a GoFundMe and uh, you, you was nice enough, Dan, on your page to um, put the address up. Uh, for the legal uh, legal things, if anybody knows anybody in the State Department, that would be the most helpful. <laughs> if you, uh, you know, see if uh, you could make a phone call. I don't know because I don't know how that system works. I just, mm -hmm. I just, I'm just guessing, and you know, I'm just sort of going along with the flow, you know. And uh, at least I know where the issue is now, and it's it's definitely with somebody in Homeland Security or the State Department who has a problem. Uh, and I don't know, um, I think the only reason, because at least they know that I've been helping them. They know that. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean. We'll have to figure out, we can figure out something. That I've got to run. Um, but okay, uh, Michael, I, Dan will send you my information. We'll stay in touch here. And All right, General. Thank you for Bye. nice to talk to you. I really enjoyed meeting you, sir. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, it was a great story. And uh, God bless you. Thank you for your service, sir. Yeah, thank you. Well, you you deserve uh, support, that's for sure. So we'll do that. Dan, we'll see what we can figure out. I I don't know. I just have to think about it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, God bless that's you. That's, you, that's the best thing we can do, uh, General, and uh, also you, Mike. Uh, connecting dots is also connecting people. Yeah. And maybe we can get the right combination here. We can help yeah. you. Anyway, well, thank, thank yeah, you, uh, Paul. Mary, Mary, oh, and Mary. you know, there, there is one thing that your viewers could do, and that I would appreciate. 
for those if you don't have any if you can't go to the website and help the legal fund or whatever uh, or you don't have any state department connections just say a prayer because you know we all i know the power of prayer people were praying for me and i could feel it when i were every day when i was over there uh so you know mm-hmm. power of prayer i, I believe in that yeah. That's number one for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, I think maybe Mary Fanning is on with us. Uh, Mary, are you on with us now? Because uh, I noticed that you were talking, uh, someone uh, texted me and they said uh, uh, the National Security Hour, you mentioned that, and that tells yeah, me that Mary Fanning is on. Yeah. Correct, Dan. How are you? Oh, good, good. Oh, good, good. All right. and yeah, Michael, it's my pleasure to meet you. Nice and, to meet um, you, ma'am. We would love to, I'd love to have you one on the intelligence uh, briefing with John B. Wells. Uh, that's okay. on Salem Radio yeah. Network. Dan knows that business. So we have a live Wonderful. listening on 8 million. So we'd wow. love you to come on wow. and tell your story. But also um, General McInerney and General Vallelie also are on the intelligence briefing. But also we have another radio show Monday through Fridays uh, on uh, iHeartRadio, America Out Loud. So I'd love to have General McInerney and General Vallely and some of the other um, uh, retired. That's, um, to do that, Mary. that's good. That's, we'll set a date and see when we can do that. That sounds good. And I'll have Dr. Mike and Colonel Mike as well, General. Okay. So they can speak to the Middle East. Okay, I've got to leave. So uh, all okay, right, thank goodbye, General. You know, you, bro. Say hello to Muffin for me, please. Yeah, we'll do. <laughs> okay, thank okay. you. Thank you, General. So Dan, we we would love to have Michael on, and the only Wonderful. problem. Thank you, Mary. Michael, my concern <laughs> for you is the administration that's in power, and. From what we know and from General Flynn, you know, it it was Obama and and Brennan that were running ISIS and Al-Qaeda and that were moving weapons from Benghazi and arming ISIS and Al-Qaeda in Syria. Yeah, no, I, 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 I don't know about Benghazi. I do know about Syria. The only, uh, by the time uh, there was, there was two, I fought under two presidents, under Barack Obama and under Donald J. Trump. And um, under Barack Obama, America, the, the only air support in the world, the only country in the world that was helping the Syrian Kurds fight ISIS, ISIS was America. And then when Donald Trump came in immediately, he was good to his word. We got more air support, which we needed. We got more weapons. We got more artillery. We got helmets, or some of them got helmets, grenades for the first time. And uh, it was, a, you know, that was amazing too. But uh, yeah, I, that, that was my observation on that. I, Benghazi, I don't know about. I, I, I wasn't in Libya, you know, but uh, yeah, in Syria, I. I uh, I just, I'm, I was, I was glad America was there throughout because America was the, was the biggest ally to the Kurds. Without them, they'd still be fighting ISIS. Well, uh, so for for as far as Benghazi, um, I sent a piece to Dan that we wrote, and I introduced uh, these uh, retired military whistleblowers 
who brought the information forward that they knew all along that it was Suleimani at Benghazi that killed our people. And when Donald Trump came into office, he received that information, and that's when he put the hit on Suleimani. Well, he was an evil man. Yes, he was. But they knew all along that it was Suleimani and Iran that killed our people in Benghazi, but they hid it. Obama hid it. So that's a problem. Um, and so I don't, you know, most of us think that, that Joe is just his puppet master is Obama. And so um, if anyone can figure out how to get you some help through, through channels, it will be General Vallely and uh, General McInerney and some others that we work with that might have um, some insight, and they certainly all have plenty of connections. Uh, in fact, this is going to sound awful. Dan, you can put me in check, but this is what I believe. The last thing this administration wants is someone like Michael who knows how to take care of himself and is pro-American coming into our country right now. Exactly. That's, that's well, exactly that, yeah. what I said, because look what they did to the Cubans when uh, the Cubans were trying to get over here and get away from Raul Castro. Uh, right. The Coast Guard sending them back, and not only sending them back to Cuba, but they were actually delivering them to the Cuban authorities. Exactly. So... Um, well, that you know, it, it, it plays a little bit into uh, politics. Of <clears throat> I'm here in Mexico, Mexico, and there's a lot of people lot here of people who are extradited because, because they were illegal, you know. And, and the Americans sent them all back to Mexico, which they should. Um, and some of them are legal. And I said, "How did you get legal?" And he said, "I pick oranges." And he shook my hand and he had the most the hardest handshake. And it's like, yeah, you could tell he was a fruit picker. You know, he was like a strong guy. And I understand America give these green cards, these very low paying jobs because black Americans, white Americans didn't want to do that kind of work in the, in the red hot heat in the summer. I understand that. And I, I have a problem with that. But I think picking ISIS pockets Picking terrorists, both alive and dead, I think that's as important as an orange. And so I would say, what'd you say, Mary? I said much more so. Right. And so I'm not even asking to come in for, I'm just asking to come for a visa that the immigration department have already approved. And so, you know. I I have connections to a, a top immigration attorney. So no, me, I, I, already, I, I, haven't, I have one. I already paid him a, a fortune. I'm, he said, this one, this last thing, he said, I've got a little bit more paperwork. He said, if you want me to reapply? He said, I'll, I'll charge you 2000 He said, and that's all. And that's I said, all. okay, which is very cheap, you know, uh, for, because he's already done the work. He's already, he said, uh, so I said, but thank you, Mary. I appreciate the offer. Thank you very much. I'm really looking to just talk to them to see if they have any connections that we might get to uh, that might help with, because you've already done the legal work. Yeah. 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 Well, I've um, got, I've got to do the, I've got the, uh, that Dan invited me on the show. He said, you know, I might have some people who might want to donate to you, Michael. And he said, I'll put your website on there. I said, okay, because I, you know, I'm trying to raise 2000 for this legal fee. Uh, once I get that, then I can apply at least for the, consulate visit and I get an embassy visit again 
Uh, he said it'll take about two weeks after I put in the application. So as soon as I get that money, I can apply. And then two weeks after that, I can go into the embassy in America, the American embassy and take the application, you know, and see how it, see, pray to God. Michael, are you aware that Hillary Clinton was using OPIC funds, State Department funds, and funding the hospital with the Turks for ISIS? No, I wasn't aware of. I, I'm politically, I'm I'm not as clued in as you guys. I don't think. Well, she was. So yeah, uh, I, uh, Michael. I'll just tell you this. Uh, Nobody in the world does a better job of reporting on the dirt uh, that came out of the Obama and O'Biden administrations than Mary Fanning. Uh, she knows where the bodies are buried. She worked with uh, Den Dennis Montgomery. She's worked with, uh, with Mike Lindell. She's worked with a lot of... Uh, uh, general officers, flag officers, and uh, Mary's kind of, uh, I guess I would have to say, uh, the, my go-to uh, go gal when I need to know somebody and I need to uh, find out some information, I can mm. call Mary and uh, lo and behold, just about every time she gives me some of the best stuff I've ever heard. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Um, so, so will I will, uh, will you give my details to Mary then, or how should we do that, uh, Dan? Yes. yes. And I'll, Dan, give mine to Michael. And Michael, I think if you get a GoFundMe, if you have a GoFundMe, and you come on the intelligence briefing with John B., that's a vast audience. It's So that's our live listening audience, but it also goes to podcasts. If you mm. then come on the National Security Hour, I think that's about $4 million, right, Dan? Mm -hmm. And yeah. Wow, that's a lot of people. Well, it's a uh, we're in the top one percent. Wow. Um, yes, but it's also we have retired military who are standing up for doing the right thing. Right. And so people will understand. Well, we just had one on this show. That's one of my the guys I work with. General <clears throat> Val is is part of the team. We work together yeah. daily. So if you come on with him and General McInerney and talk about your story and bring your GoFundMe, we'll be able to get a lot of um, interest in your story because pressure, Great. Dan, what do you think? Pressure, the most important thing here? Yeah, absolutely. And, and just so you know, Michael, think about it this way. If you've got uh, uh, 200 people that are willing to give 10 bucks a piece, uh, you know, you've done your your job there, and I yeah. I can tell you, knowing Mary and knowing uh, her connections, uh, you're going to do a lot better than that. And let's get you back in the U.S. I want to get a chance to meet you in person. Oh, I'd love to meet you. I really, I feel like I'm indebted to you, sir, for this. So thank you very much. And um, let me know when whenever you guys want to see me next or talk to me next, and I'll make sure I'm available. Okay, well, I All think right. you're going to be on with me. We're going to do a, a program on Brighton TV on Tuesday afternoon, and we'll okay. be in touch on that. You but it, uh, Mary, uh, yeah, getting him on the intelligence briefing, uh, getting him connected with John B. and some of the others, uh, 
I, I think we can get this facilitated where we get Michael back home where he wants to be in the U.S. And absolutely, mm. we're indebted to him for what he's done. Oh, thank, thank you. you very much. I appreciate that, Manny. Thank you very much, ma'am. Appreciate it. Fascinating. Oh. Listen. All right. God bless you guys. I'll see you on Tuesday, Dan. God bless you, Mary. I look forward to talking to you soon. Okay, Mary, if you'll stay on, I'll uh, let let you and I talk a little bit about uh, this latest article you sent me. Uh, uh, please uh, stay on with me now. Uh, talk a little bit about this uh, latest article that you sent me because this is uh, this is important stuff. Dan, that is an article that uh, we did a while ago, and that is. Um, the former military, they they came forward to me as whistleblowers. Mm -hmm. And if you remember, under the Obama administration, they sat there and they lied daily. And this was going into the 2012 election. They uh, Susan Rice was on every Sunday, you know, uh, station lying. Mm -hmm. You know that Benghazi was the result of a some idiotic film that uh, she continued. And who was she working with? Well, that would be Mike Morell of the 51 spies who lie, who are directed once again to lie by Antony Blinken. Oh, and Antony Blinken? Antony Blinken is the man whose father, not only did he begin a bank, big bank, but his father, Donald Blink, he's a man who funded George Soros' Open Society Foundation for a billion dollars. So until people understand the context of the communist revolution that's taking place in this country, yeah. it also yeah. goes to Benghazi. They lied about Benghazi only because these former military whistleblowers came forward. They separately, they did not know one another. They came from, these were the people who were on duty the night of Benghazi, who were in the skiff watching what took place. They came forward and they told the truth. They, they had told them to destroy all the documents. They didn't. But also they knew that it was Soleimani, the Iranians who came and killed our people. Soleimani, as the head of the Quds Force, was a leading general. Mm -hmm. This is the man that, that Donald Trump took out off the face of this earth. That's important because this is who was running, Dan, until people understand what took place with um, the phone system with Erickson mm -hmm. all of that information and how they were giving uh, geolocation abilities of our troops in the field, the enemy. Uh, there's court cases that are ongoing about this. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're in France. And of course, the, the mainstream media here covers nothing because they're completely owned. You know, these are the Smith Munt media. You know, the Smith-Munt Act of 1948 says you were not to use propaganda brainwashing techniques on the American people. Barack Obama reversed that with the Smith-Munt Modernization Act of 2012. This media, owned by very few, is not telling the American people the truth. And most particularly, they're not telling them the truth about Benghazi. They knew it was Iran, but put it in context. You, you now have the Iran deal. We're giving them millions of dollars. Joe Biden wants to send over how many more? Millions of dollars mm -hmm. right now. At the same time, they're making it a nuclear Iran. 
and this and that J-Pot deal, you cannot make this up. It is so inside no. out. Beyond that, uh, right now we are seeing the Middle East, just like the Islamic bloc that we wrote about, the Middle East is uniting against America. Iran mm-hmm. is uniting all of their militaries and navies. It's not just to, and and who also is working with them? Well, until you understand that the Islamic bloc that was put in place at the end, the end of the nineties by Yevgeny Primakov, the Russian KGB bear in the desert that was running Iraq with Saddam and Dr. Jafar Dia Jafar until people understand that they put together the Islamic bloc and it included all these middle Eastern countries. They are the same ones that they're also working with China and North Korea. The world is being aligned against America. Mm-hmm. No, no question about it. And um, just recently, the uh, Epoch Times did uh, uh, an extensive article on just exactly how depleted our um, stockpiles of munitions are and how we have sent uh, so much of our munitions over to Ukraine to be wasted over there. And if, in fact, we had to uh, fight any kind of a war today, we wouldn't have enough munitions to last more than a week. That is the kind of stuff. People need to wake up. People need to understand this is not uh, anything that's a hypothetical instance. These are actual factual things that have happened, and these people are tearing our country apart. And China Joe in his his uh, boss down the street are doing exactly what they always intended to do, and that's fundamentally transform America. Yes, into a Soviet America where the American people answer to the oligarch class. So uh, they have, you know, this is exactly the plan that they had put in play for the Eurasian uh, world uh, new world order. And when people hear new world order, they need to understand that it's the communist new world order where the American people will lose all rights. Uh, they're, they're paring back our rights daily. Uh, that started, um, in full speed ahead under COVID the idea that the, the, they had, the FBI had the 1023 forms. They knew that $5 million went from Burisma to Joe Biden and $5 million went to Hunter Biden. They knew, now that's a pretty good payment, isn't it? So if, if they give each one of them $5 million and then we give them $100 billion, that's a 20 times return on that $10 million. No kidding. Wow. Amazing. Well, you know, and we've got the proof. Uh, Mary... I don't know if um, did did I uh, get you in uh, contact with uh, a gentleman who did the uh, forensics, Gus Dimitrilos, uh who did the forensics on um, Hunter Biden's uh, laptop computer. No, I'd like to. Gus I will connect you. I will connect that dot. Uh, Gus is considered one of the top forensic computer experts in the entire country. He's testified before Congress a number of times, 
He is the go-to guy, and he was on my program uh, here with, uh, as a matter of fact, with Terry Turchi uh, talking about uh, the, the forensic on that laptop, and it's 100% confirmed that that laptop was Hunter Biden's. It had not been... Uh, it had not been manipulated. It had not been overwritten. It was 100% accurate, and it had so much dirt on it that you can't even believe it, Mary. Uh, yes, I can believe it, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I suppose we actually can. We know we know how these uh, people are doing this stuff. It's absolutely amazing. Well, uh, Mary, I will share your contact information uh, with Michael Enright, and I will uh, share uh, his contact information with you, and let's see if we can uh, try to help this man get back in country. Uh, it's an amazing story. Did you get a chance to look at the video that he uh, did over there? It's like an hour and 46 minutes long, and it's absolutely amazing. Thank you, Dan. I did. Not the whole thing, but I saw quite a bit of it. Uh, thank you for sending it. I also, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of time today and I got on thinking I'd spend a couple of minutes, but his story is fascinating. Mm -hmm. And so I got on, I've listened from the beginning and um, I think when the American people understand that here's this guy who simply knew right from wrong and wanted to stand up for America, who has a moral barometer and uh, put his life on the line to do the right thing. That's the kind of people, the people that we need in this country. And I have to laugh. Why doesn't he just go to the border and walk over and they'll give yeah. him a new phone, and a new identity. And they're doing that at the Chinese embassy in LA. Uh, this is ridiculous. We have 7 million people that have come over the border just this year. And gee, if you're carrying fentanyl, apparently that's a welcome card because 109,000 Americans have died of fentanyl poisoning just this year. Amazing. Wow. Well, uh, Mary, uh, I think uh, pamphlet's ready to go with the uh, campaign show, but thank you for joining us. And I will uh, get all that information back and forth between you and Michael. And uh, good luck. I, I appreciate your interest in this. Uh, uh, let's hope that we can get him back into the country. From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee across the plains of Texas oh from sea to shining sea from Detroit down to Houston to LA where there's pride in every American heart and it's time we stand and